Welcome to Divorce is Not a Destination. I'm Dr. Lisa Summerauer, a breakup and divorce strategist. If you've experienced a breakup or a divorce, you already know how stressful it can be. But here's the thing, divorce isn't the end of your story. It's a new beginning starting from where you are right now. So join me for a unique blend of humor and straight talk as we navigate the ups and downs, drama and trauma, and emotional roller coaster ride experienced when a relationship ends. You won't be alone. I'll introduce you to guests who share their experiences and success stories. Come here for actionable tips, tools, and strategies that empower you to move forward. Whether you need healing, guidance, or a fresh perspective, I'm here to remind you it's your life your journey here on Divorce is Not a Destination. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Divorce is Not a Destination. Today's episode is actually part two of a four-part series that I'm doing on narcissism. And today I'm going to discuss five different types of narcissism, what researchers and um, medical practitioners look at as the five different types of narcissism. I'm Dr. Lisa Summerauer. I'm an accredited breakup and divorce coach, and I support people who are going through the trauma and drama of a breakup. So they may be in the middle of one right now or know that one's coming, or it could be after it's happened and they're still struggling with moving through their life, getting uh, getting a grip on their life. I help them work on designing strategies so they can get clarity and regain their confidence so they can take back control of their lives. Because very often in, in difficult relationships, people have lost the control or that sense of control about their lives. So we work on four key areas. We work on uh, embracing accountability, learning how to create alignment, good communication without guilt and learning how to trust themselves. Cause I believe if you can learn to trust yourself, it becomes easier for you to trust other people because you know, you can handle whatever comes at you. So this podcast is actually an extension of that work. And I get an opportunity to welcome a broader audience and it ends up on my YouTube channel and my, uh, the streaming services that, that I'm connected to. So I want to thank you for being here. If you're here live with me, my mom is here in the audience today live. And I want to thank you if you are listening to this in a rebroadcast, because these episodes are, are designed for us to learn from each other. And they are primarily out here. I want to put this information out here to help people. And you're going to hear me say women. I know that men have just as much trauma and drama around relationships ending as many women do. I also know that they are also susceptible to different types of domestic violence. And this is something that that I'll be talking about as well, um, mostly from the context of control. So even as I'm talking about narcissism for these four episodes, I'm really doing it and what narcissism is and what it isn't. I want us to be really mindful when we use the term, if we use it at all, what we're actually saying or meaning and, and the difference between a trait and a, and a disorder, which is what we talked about last week. So I'm going to just review a little bit of last week because we talked about the difference between a personality trait and a personality disorder as it relates to narcissism. And so I'm just going to quickly give you uh, just a, a review of that with the nine symptoms. So Personality disorder is something that can only be diagnosed by a medical, uh, uh, clinical medical person. Um, we say narcissism or this person is, I know this person is narcissistic because we've probably looked up the 
traits that are associated with narcissistic behavior. And we've decided that this person must be narcissistic and, and maybe they are, maybe they aren't. I just want us to be really clear because again, people listening to this may be going through some really difficult times. And I want to make sure that I'm not putting misinformation out here, that I'm giving them tools that are designed to help them, not things that are going to help them stay stuck because we're labeling people, right? So a narcissistic personality disorder can only be diagnosed by a medical practitioner. Narcissistic traits, we all have narcissistic traits, some type or another to some extent or, or another. Um, you know, you can have them uh, to a lesser degree. Some of them may be more um, you may be more, uh, what, what is the word I'm looking for? They may be more prevalent than others for you. So here are the nine symptoms, if you will, or, 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 or characteristics of a narcissistic personality disorder, but these are the traits. These are the traits. And then I will talk just a little bit again from last week about what's, what needs to happen. The reason it's important that, you know, you need to be diagnosed you can't just uh, decide that somebody's narcissistic. But these are the nine symptoms. Hi, everybody. Hey, Damali and Wanda. We're reviewing just a little bit of last week before I get into these five types of narcissism. So the nine characteristics or symptoms, grandiosity and self-importance. So they think they are the end-all, be-all, the shiggity-shaggity. Number two, fantasies of success, uh, perfection or power. Three, a strong conviction of being special and unique. Four was a need for admiration and praise. Five is this sense of entitlement. Um, uh, six, a pattern of exploiting other people for personal gain. So they, they don't have a problem using people. Seven is they are low on that empathy scale. It's not that they don't have the ability to be empathetic. They pick and choose very often when they will be empathetic and with whom. Um, eight is envy, jealousy, and distrust. And then nine was arrogance, haughtiness, and scorn. And Wanda, you asked something last week about conceit. Wanda said, you know, when we were younger, we didn't really know the term uh, narcissistic, but we knew we would say, oh, this person's so conceited. And yes, that would fall under, under narcissism. The, the definitions for the two words, um, I actually put it in here, um, but the definition for somebody who's narcissistic is somebody who thinks of themselves. You know, they're, they're, it's, it's an excessive uh, thought process. They think more about themselves. So they're, they are selfish in that. And that would, that would align itself with, with narcissism quite well, actually. So five types of narcissism. And just before I step in into that, some of the researchers have taken narcissism and they split it into like two categories, two different categories. One of them is referred to as adaptive narcissism. So when I say we all have narcissism, it's the adaptive narcissism that, that we want to be associated with because that refers to um, you have high self-confidence you have a good balanced level of self-reliance. You have the ability to celebrate yourself. And these are really healthy things. These are the things that I actually end up working with my clients on because many of them, this is what's been diminished or depleted or almost stamped out in unhealthy relationships where there's a, a controlling partner involved. So that's adaptive narcissism. The other category is maladaptive narcissism. And as you can imagine, it's the complete opposite. So this is somebody who has these traits that are not serving them well. 
Matter of fact, they they are probably having a negative impact on how they are relating to other people. And the interesting thing about them is that they probably are struggling themselves. So examples of maladaptive would be entitlement, aggression, and to a uh, tendency to take other people for granted, to take advantage of other people rather. So you've got adaptive and maladaptive as these two different kind of narcissistic camps. Now I'm going to talk about the five types of narcissism that are going to be more likely associated with that maladaptive narcissism. And the maladaptive narcissism is what is typically going to be associated with that personality disorder, because that is definitely going into that negative realm. But again, just be mindful that when we say, oh, this person's narcissistic, we don't know if they're actually narcissistic. We don't know if they have a disorder. We can say they have some personality traits that seem narcissistic or that align themselves with narcissistic personality traits. And that would be a much more fair way of describing somebody if you're going to use this term. So when you hear people saying that, know that you know that there's a difference between a trait and a disorder. Okay, so let's look at these five um, types of narcissism. These are the five types. There's overt, covert, antagonistic, communal, and malignant. Overt, covert, antagonistic, communal, and malignant. Man, try to say that like five or six times in a row. So I'm going to start with overt narcissism. Overt narcissism. Um, this one is known by a couple other nodes. This is that grandiose. This is that grandiose narcissist. This is um, another word is agentic, and I wasn't even familiar with that word. But this is the type of narcissism that most people associate with a narcissistic personality. It's the person who is outgoing. Uh, uh, Wanda, this would be conceited, right? Uh, they're arrogant. They have that sense of entitlement. It's a lot of the things that you heard me use to describe a narcissistic personality. Um, but this is in, in this category, this is overt. They're overbearing. They have an exaggerated sense of themselves. These are the narcissists that are probably easiest for us to detect, right? Because of these, these, these uh, characteristics, these personality traits are so far to one side. They need to be praised and admired. It's a, it's a need for them. They're exploitative, so they don't have a problem using people. They are highly competitive, highly competitive. This is the person, if you're in a relationship with them, um, I joke with people all the time, you, you know, when you're in these relationships and you're, you're thinking to yourself, I, I didn't want to be in a competitive relationship, but after what just happened, I realized that I'm in competition with my partner and I didn't know it. So they are likely to be very competitive and again, lacking empathy. But I, I always use this caveat. I like the researchers that say it's not, it's not necessarily a lack of empathy. It could be that they, uh, they use the empathy when and where and how they want. So they're fully aware of what it is to be empathetic. They just pick and choose when they're empathetic. So some researchers can connect, uh, they connect overt narcissism with, there's a big five personality traits and two of those traits are extroversion. So your extroverts and openness, openness. Um, these folks are less likely to experience uncomfortable emotions like being sad or worrying or being lonely. These overt narcissism, those are not 
they, they usually feel pretty good about themselves. So you may see this person as having high energy um, because they, they're up, they're, they're, they're up, they're going to be energetic, but they're probably energetic about feeling really good about themselves. Maybe not so much excited about anything happening with you. Um, they also tend to overestimate their own abilities. They overestimate their intellect, their intelligence. I even read one thing that said these people even overestimate their own emotional intelligence. They will come off or present themselves like they have a, a high level of EQ of emotional intelligence. And you you may be a little confused. It's almost like I'm hearing them, but this isn't what I'm seeing. Um, and that that's very much a part of the overt narcissist uh, behavior. Um, one study suggested that it, 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 yeah, that I was just talking about the emotional intelligence. That's a, another one of the studies. So let me tell you what emotional intelligence is, because I, I don't want to throw a term out there and assume that somebody listening. So this means um, it's actually describing a person's ability to manage their feelings, to, to manage their feelings so that their feelings are expressed in a way that's appropriate and effective. And so if you know those people that just seem to be emotionally unhinged very often, or they have a difficult time expressing, explaining, displaying emotion, or they're, they're just, the emotions don't line up with what's going on, that's an emotional intelligence issue, right? That, that could be part of an emotional intelligence issue. So what I'm going to do, that, that was the overt narcissist. And I want to open it up after I go through each one of these sections just to see if anybody has any thoughts, comments, questions, reactions as I go through each one. And then I'll open it up completely at the end. So if you have a comment or you want to share or something popped up as I was going through overt, just go ahead and click uh, click your, your microphone and jump on in here. This one probably sounds the most familiar because I, I do believe this is the one that we typically identify with most often when we're talking about narcissists. It's that overly conceited person that's that boisterous person uh, they're going to tell you how fabulous they are and uh, if they're friends it may seem funny at first but you realize they're not really joking they actually think they are that fabulous and that wonderful and you should too um, that's the overt so second one is their their counterpart it's their opposites the other side of that coin uh, it's the covert narcissism covert narcissism this one is also known as vulnerable narcissism and closet narcissism. I had not heard that one. I had not heard closet narcissism. Complete contrast to the overt not narcissism. Like I said, they're like opposite sides of the coin. Um, they don't fit into that loud, overbearing narcissistic trait. This is not them. Their traits would include things like um, they may actually express that they have very low self-esteem. So they may do a lot of uh, self-criticism, um, likely more likely to have anxiety, depression, and shame, feel shame, um, which is not something you're likely to see as much with an overt narcissist. The covert narcissist is going to have that, that, those traits. They're more likely to be introverts. You might see more insecurity and a low confidence, low levels of confidence, they could be very, very defensive. They do not take criticism very well, and they tend to be more avoidant. 
So um, they may also play the victim a lot. You may hear a lot of what was me or I can't believe this is happening to me again. Or, you know, they want you to feel sorry for them. Now, they can still be very, very self-focused, which is a trait that the overt narcissist has. It just may look a little different. And that that self-focus could look like it's in conflict with this. Um, it's like a fear of not being enough. So they're still always focused on themselves or could be very much focused on them and, and what they want to do and what's important to them. But there could be a very strong fear or sense of just not being enough. So that's that insecurity coming coming out. Um, that's that low level of confidence coming out. I had a therapist once say to me that somebody with with um, insecurity issues, uh, well, actually, he said insecurity can breed narcissism. That's the that's the the phrase that he used. Insecurity can breed narcissism, and that's what I'm hearing and what I was reading as I was researching this covert narcissism, that that insecurity is very much connected to that narcissistic trait. Um, they are linked to neuroticism, this tendency to, to just find unpleasant, to experience unpleasant emotions. There's this like disagreeableness. These people could be, it could come up uh, as, as combative uh, they're the ones that are always playing the devil's advocate. They're just going to disagree for the sake of disagreeing. They they just seem to want to experience this negative or these unpleasant emotions. And they're likely to have a hard time, as I said before, accepting criticism. Again, if you've got really low self-esteem, you're insecure, you don't have a, a lot of confidence. When somebody criticizes you, you're already kind of beating yourself up. So you don't have that far to go to hear somebody else say something negative could kind of send you over the top. Now, the difference between them and the, the overt is they are likely, they're more likely to internalize all of that. And that's why they struggle with taking criticism because they immediately take it inside. So they're already beaten up on themselves. You join in, they're going to magnify it internally. Now, the covert and the overt are not always, always mutually exclusive. Somebody who has overt narcissistic tendencies um, or, or, or traits can also go through a period where they show signs of covert narcissism. So the coin could kind of flip on that one person. Typically, you're going to be able to identify that, but there could be periods. It says periods where that overt narcissist looks covert. And so you could, and, and if you're dating somebody like this or you're with somebody like that and you see that shift, especially if it's early on and you haven't identified the behaviors, you could think they've turned a corner and started making some changes and, and they seem to be more empathetic and more low key and a little bit more introspective. They may have gone all the way over into a, a covert or yeah, covert behavior. And you may just have to wait a little while to see the other side come back. So that's number two. Three, antagonistic narcissism. And I, I want somebody to, to just, as I'm going through these, let me know if you've never heard of one of these or some of these. Let me know if this is the first time you're hearing some of these, because I don't think, I, I knew there were different types. I don't think I knew there were five. And antagonistic narcissism wasn't something I was familiar with. And I think like, like many I knew of the I knew about the overt narcissist. That was what I thought narcissism was. And then when I started reading, I could 
put the dots together and go, oh my gosh, I, I think I've been around a few people with some of these traits, not necessarily diagnosed with a disorder, but definitely some of these traits were, were familiar. So antagonistic narcissism. This one is a subtype of the overt narcissism. So it would fall under that category. It has some of those aspects. Um, and it says the focus is on rivalry and competition. And it uh, antagonistic, right? So some of the traits would be arrogance. Uh, they have a tendency to take advantage of others. They have a tendency to compete with others and disagreeable uh, and really prone to arguing. So this person, I mean, it, they're antagonistic. So basically <laughs> anything that you can attach to being antagonistic, that's just sort of like that person that seems like they just get up in the morning and figure, I'm going to figure out how to stick the screws to somebody antagonistic. Well, that is also uh, uh, one of the types of a narcissistic personality trait. So um, antagonistic narcissists were less likely to forgive other people. They are less likely to forgive other people than the other types of uh, narcissistic uh, behaviors. Uh, they have a low level of trust. And that kind of makes sense to me. If you have a low level of trust, if you have a difficult time trusting people, once they get out of good graces with you, learning to being able to trust them again for an antagonistic narcissist is really difficult. So the keys with them are arrogance, tendency to take advantage of other people, tendency to be uh, competitive with other people, disagreeable or prone to argue, low level of trust. They, they, they have a difficult time trusting. And if you do break trust with them, getting forgiveness from them is going to be really, really, really difficult, really difficult. So I'm up to number four. And I'm not going to, we're not going to be here for an hour because I don't think it's going to take us an hour. I really want to start uh, this show anyway. I wanted to make sure I streamline this because it's five things. And for those of you who are listening later, or even if you're on here now, I really invite you to look these things up and really learn about them so that you can pay attention to them. If you are in a relationship with somebody right now, and some of this is sounding familiar, if you're actually in the relationship with them and can get them to go to counseling with you, I know last week I said, Dr. Phil doesn't believe narcissists can change, <laughs> but if you really think that this is something that you may be dealing with in a relationship and you can get them to go to therapy, to go see a counselor, the benefit might be if they get diagnosed, at least you have an idea of what you're dealing with and they can hear it from a professional because you're not going to be able to tell them. And according to Dr. Phil, they're probably not going to listen to the professional. Actually, not just Dr. Phil. A lot of the research and literature on this says that your narcissist is going to be the least likely person to stay in a therapy or counseling situation. But I'm here to help the people who are struggling in difficult relationships, controlling relationships, or have gotten out of them. I'm here to help those people move forward in their life. And so if you're in that relationship, the counseling might benefit both of you. Um, even if you are and they don't go, get counseling for yourself so you can have an understanding. If you're out of the relationship and this is sounding like something you just went through, then counseling may be good or coming to somebody like me who's a coach who's actually trained to deal with helping people get through um, relationships where they were dealing with control issues, difficult issues. 
it is not, uh, it, it's not, the point is not whether or not they are a narcissist. That's not really the important thing for you if you're trying to heal. And that's why I'm doing this four-part series, because I want people to not use the, the label of narcissism as an excuse to keep beating themselves up or think that you you can't help yourself or that there's something different about what you just came out of or it was so horrible. All of those things may be true and the person may not be a narcissist. They may have traits like the rest of us that were problematic, but the real problem is that you were in an unhealthy relationship. The cause of it almost doesn't matter. The, the, the result is it has caused you harm in your life and it has put you in a place where you need help. And that's why I'm here as a coach to help those individuals, mostly women. Um, I, I said at the top, I do realize men go through these things too. And I do work with men, but most of the people that I work with are women. Um, and my goal is to be able to help you get your footing to help you get clarity. And when you get clarity, you can empower yourself. And when you can empower yourself, you can start taking back control of your life and being responsible for yourself. And that's why uh, all of this is important. That's why any of this is important. So I don't want people to get hung up in whether their partner or their ex was a narcissist. And then that becomes the, the, the whole the whole center of your world, the whole reason why this is why this was so bad. Yes, it might've been bad, but trust me when I tell you, there are people in really, really bad relationships with folks who are not narcissists. So this is, this is just one personality trait, one issue that could be causing the problem, but it doesn't have to be the reason you're having a problem. And at the end of the day, identifying that you're in a bad relationship, an unhealthy relationship is vitally important. But what's most important about that is that you identify what it has done to you. And now it's time for you to take that power back. And that's why I'm here. And that's why I'm doing this. So this is part two of four parts really designed to educate all of us on what narcissism is so we can stop throwing this term around and understand that if you are dealing uh, with somebody that is making your life a limit living hell, whether they're a narcissist or not, we don't know. Unless you've gone and gotten therapy and they've been um, they've been clin clinically diagnosed because at the end of the day, whether they're diagnosed or not, you already know that you're in a relationship that is not healthy for you. Right. OK, so we're going to go on to number number four here is communal narcissism. Another one I had anybody else heard of communal narcissism. I'm looking here to see my little icons. Communal narcissism. This, again, falls under overt narcissism. But it's the it's usually seen as the opposite of antagonistic. So, okay, this person, this person is uh, this person is is a good actor. This person is somebody who values. They say they value fairness, and they are likely to see themselves as altruistic. They're they're the people people will probably say about a communal narcissist. Oh my God. He, she would give you the shirt off their back. Oh, they're so into social issues. They, they, they are, they're going to fight for, for somebody's rights. They, they're there for that little guy. If somebody gets hurt, they're there. They are going to be there to support and um, show you that when things are not fair, they're going to jump in and fight for the person that's not being treated fairly. That's the, that's the communal narcissist. Hey, Monica. That's the communal narcissist. So there is a, a gap between 
what this person believes, what they say that they believe, and how they behave. So somebody who is a communal narcissist, they might get outraged. They, they could have moral outrage about something that's going on. They can describe themselves as being very empathetic and generous. They, Like I said, they're the person that friends would describe as, oh, he'll give you the shirt off his back. And they react very strongly to things that they view as unfair, very strongly. So you're going to you're going to hear them using those kinds of th- like this isn't fair and I'm, I'm so pissed off. I'm so upset. But the difference between that and their genuine concern for well-being of others, there, there's a gap. The key difference is that people with uh, communal narcissism, they want social power and they want self-importance. Those two things are really, really, really important to them social power and self self uh, importance. So an example will be while the communal narcissist might cause you to believe that they have a very strong moral code that they really care about other people, you might not realize that when you look at how they actually treat other people. So there's this disconnect between what they profess um, I, the, their their espoused values is what we call this in corporate America when we're talking about corporate culture. So there's a a difference between what they say, and they're very convincing. So even if because they're saying it, you're probably going to believe it. And then you're going to have that cognitive dissonance when you don't see that behavior lining up with what they say. So they may get really outraged about something, but they're not going to do anything about it to help this other person. But it sounds good because they want to present to the world that they are social justice advocates. They, they, they want social power and they want to seem, uh, they want self-importance. So we've gone through the overt narcissist, the covert narcissist, the antagonistic narcissist, and I just covered communal narcissism. The fifth one that we're going to get into is malignant narcissism malignant narcissism. And again, I'm asking folks if you've ever heard of these and we're going to open it up when I when I get through this one just to see if there's anything somebody wants to share. So, we know that narcissism can exist on different levels uh, of severity, right? There it could be minor to to severe. And malignant narcissism is the more severe form of any of these five. And this one can not only cause problems for people trying to live with the narcissist, but it actually creates problems for the the narcissist. Um, This one is definitely more connected to the covert narcissism. And they may have uh, many of those traits. The nine traits that identify a narcissist, the malignant narcissist may have quite a few of those. Uh, They have a strong need for praise. They want to be elevated above other people. But in addition, the malignant narcissism narcissist can show a vindictiveness that you might not have seen in the others. Um, sadistic. They may actually enjoy other people being in pain. They may actually enjoy that. And that's why I, I said this one is severe. Um, aggression. When they're interacting with other people, you may see a lot of aggression from a malignant narcissist. And this is where you could see the paranoia or um, a heightened worry about potential threats. So they are forecasting negativity. 
and they are worried about it. They're concerned about it. And they're going to tell you about why they're concerned. So this person may also share some of the traits of somebody with an antisocial disorder. So a lot of keeping to themselves, not wanting to be around a lot of other people, or if they are, they're kind of to themselves. They may not engage, just kind of sitting back in the, in the corner. So a malignant narcissist is more likely to experience, this is an interesting, Monica, you're here for this one, more likely to experience legal trouble or substance abuse, which is interesting. Um, in one study that involved people with a borderline disorder, malignant narcissism uh, had a harder time reducing anxi anxiety and getting a better ability to function day to day. So like I said, the malignant narcissist obviously probably difficult for people around them, but one of the characteristics is that they are really struggling a lot with their own, with their own life. Because um, one of the things about narcissism, when I talked earlier about adaptive and maladaptive and adaptive narcissism is where we all want to be, where it's just a, a level, a healthier level of self-confidence. Um, and then you have that maladaptive. So self-confidence, self-reliance, and the ability to celebrate yourself, that would be adaptive. The maladaptive narcissist, entitlement, aggression, uh, tendency to take advantage of other people. If you are a malignant narcissist, you are very much covering all of those maladaptive narcissistic tendencies. And one of those characteristics is that you are creating problems for yourself. So one of the ways and one of the reasons I want people to understand the difference between a narcissistic personality trait and a clinically diagnosed uh, narcissistic disorder is because there are certain, those, those, those nine traits that, that I identified earlier, when they identify whether or not somebody actually has a narcissistic disorder, it's because they have a certain number of those traits that they can track over a certain period of time and they track them across every area of this person's life. And so there, there's a science and I'm going to say science, but the research will actually tell you this is not like cut and dry. This stuff overlaps. There's, there's, you know, one scientist may put you on the fringe where the other one could put you over the edge, but it, there is still a way that they're using to diagnose someone. So I really want people to be careful just throwing this term around and understand that when you're doing that, you need to understand that you're talking about a trait because you don't necessarily know if somebody's been diagnosed with a disorder. But if we're talking about the malignant narcissist, they've got that maladaptive narcissism. All of those negative tendencies are typically going to be heightened. They're going to be more severe. And of those nine, it says they're probably going to have more than your average narcissist, which I think the number is uh, five, maybe six. But I think they say if they have five of the nine over a certain period of months of working with them, they can you know, assess them and see where are these things showing up at work, at home, with their friends. The, these, these narcissistic personality traits are just embedded in how they're showing up. And that's part of how they identify whether this is a clinical uh, case of, of narcissistic personality disorder. And like I said before, I, I really want to make sure that I'm, I'm putting this information out here so that we're using these terms correctly. But when I'm working with a client or if somebody's listening to my broadcast and you're living with this, I want you to understand I am more concerned with the fact that you can identify that you're in an unhealthy relationship 
that is so much more important than you labeling what your partner or ex-partner might or might not have. For your own um, benefit and for you to feel empowered and for you to be able to take control of your life, it's about you identifying whatever that was, whatever they want to call it. I don't, I don't, you know, you can sit there and go, I don't care what they identified it as. I don't care who clinically diagnosed or they didn't. What I know is that wasn't healthy for me. And I now want to grow myself into being the healthiest person that I can be for my own benefit or that of my children, if you have children. So I want to open it up just for a couple of minutes before I I wrap up tonight and see if anybody has any thoughts, comments, questions, reactions, to uh, the five types or even anything that we we covered last last week. But Wanda, I made it a point to look up conceited because I just thought that was interesting that you brought up that point that, yeah, when we were younger, we didn't use the term narcissist, but we definitely used the term conceited. Uh, so narcissism is described as excessive interest or admiration of oneself and one's physical appearance. And conceit is excessively proud of oneself, vain, right? So you nailed it. <laughs> you nailed it. All right. Let me see if anybody has anything they want to add here. There you go. Hey, Wanda, where are you anyway? Are you you in transit? I'm in Texas. Awesome. Good to hear you. Safe, continued. Yes, I'm in Texas. So, yeah, I got, I'll got. i be boarding in another 30 minutes. Okay, great. So, but anyway, what I was going to say is that this is so interesting because it sounds like everybody. To a, I'm to, serious. Well, so, I mean, right. Well, narcissism is a personality trait. And, and you know, I, right. I say this a lot about a lot of things. I just think so many things operate on a continuum, right? And, and, oh and at God. a mile, yeah, at a mile level, we all have narcissistic traits, every single one of us. Yeah. Now you you probably have friends and family and know folks where some of it has has gone up the scale a little bit. And we talked about that last week. There's there's oh, yeah. admiring yourself and being able to celebrate yourself. And then there are some people that just take it so far that you don't want to be around them. It's right. It's, it's you can celebrate yourself at the expense of other people, or you can celebrate yourself and exclude other people. And then you have folks who are it's it's at a, a much more balanced state. I'll say balanced. They can celebrate themselves, and they also have the ability to celebrate other people. So there's this balance. Right. But yeah, I agree. Yeah, and it's scary. <laughs> I mean, I'm listening to you. I'm listening to you and I'm like, oh my God, this thing is scary. Is that me? <laughs> no, wait, wait, wait. No, I don't think I'm that bad. Right. <laughs> I don't know. Right. Well, it, it, right. It's like you look at the nine, you look at the nine uh, characteristics, I guess, you know. But yeah, but it's it's grandiose. You know, the first one is grandiose. Oh my God, I know. Yeah. And so you got oh, yeah. to hear the, how heightened it is. Fantasies yes. of success, perfection, or power, right? Oh, my God. We can all dream of being successful, but that's not what this is talking about. These are fantasies. Yes. And this, this is the person when you talk to them. Oh, if this deal happens, I work with a, with a person like, if this deal happens, we're going to have $400 million in six months. And you're just like, really? In six months? I used to work with somebody that was always doing that. Um, another, a strong conviction of being special or unique. 
and and so we hear these and it's like well, wait a minute don't we all want to feel like we're special and unique but it's the yes. conviction part and it's how does that strong and that's why this is a thank you for Wanda because this is why it's so important for us to know the difference between a trait and a clinically diagnosed and the disorder yes right. the disorder right. for real yes right. Because oh my need, God! Yeah, you need somebody that knows what to look for to determine: is this normal? Is it a little bit more than what most would consider normal, or is this that strong conviction that says I need to check the box? They got one out of nine with this. <laughs> and for us, on any given day, depending on what our relationship is with this person and what they've done to irritate us, we might try to give somebody all nine just because that's how we're feeling. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, but it, but agreed. It, right, but it may only be something that they did that day, and a therapist or a psychiatrist would be like, no, I need to see this over over many months before I can diagnose them. Just because they did that to you with you one day does not quite get it. That day, it was just some of their traits right. popping up. You know, a need for admiration and praise. We all have, uh, I think, a, a, an innate desire for people to appreciate us, right? Just read a need for admiration and praise. It, it could sound like, okay, well, that's not so bad. But a need for it, not a desire for it. A need yeah. for it. And then you don't get it. And yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Pattern, oh, my God. Yeah, a pattern of exploiting other people for personal gain. I don't think any one of us would want to have that one on our list. No. I don't no. think you ever in life. How do you describe that person? Well, she likes exploiting others uh, for personal gain. That's not going to be in anybody's list. No. Favorite characteristics. Uh, low empathy. And nobody I even want to deal with. Exactly. Uh. So, so some of these right off the bat are like, that's like a bad sign. Envy, jealousy, and distrust. Mm -hmm. Now, have, have, have any of us ever been envious of somebody else? Probably. Uh, yeah. At this point in our lives, experienced jealousy? Probably. Have any of us experienced distrust? Yes. But is it a character trait that permeates every aspect of our life at work, at home, at play? And does it, the other sign of, 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 of disorder is that it creates problems in relationships. So that's the other thing that you want to put with all nine of these. It, it needs to be creating problems in relationships. And then the last one is that arrogance, haughtiness, and scorn. So, yeah, when you're just listening to these, um, just to hear them in a list, it, it, like you said, it could be scary for some people because you're like, wait a minute, that was me yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> the question is, are these patterns of behavior that are consistent and are they creating problems in relationships? Do you run through friends like like water? Um, do you run through do people that can't keep jobs, you know, or they have friction at work all the time? Um, is, is it going to cause any and everything you you have relationships that are just breaking up? That's when you have to look and go, okay, what are some of these traits of mine that are causing problems? I, I read one researcher, it was kind of funny, it said, if you're a person that's always accusing people of being narcissists or identifying people as having narcissistic personality traits, that may be part of your personality trait. <laughs> look in the mirror. <laughs> it was like, ooh. <laughs> ooh yeah, look in the mirror. Wanda.
Thanks, because it costs us mm-hmm. to take a minute and, and take a minute and look at ourselves, right? And just like you said, take a look in that mirror. I'm going to go ahead and mute you. It causes all of us Absolutely. to take a look in that mirror and go, okay, when, when have I let mine get out of control? When have I let any of my personality traits get out of control? And what does that look like? Have I had people say to me, you know, sometimes you, you could you could pull back a little or sometimes you could even stand up for yourself a little bit more. It just depends on on what it is. This is outside of just narcissism. It's just our personality traits. We all have, you know, different personality traits. I'm going to give you um it's not in in the link. I need to put this on my website cuz I give this to people a lot. V I A V is in Victor I A dot org. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's VIA.org. And it's a it's a free assessment that you can take. And it's your character strengths. And what I love about this is it's going to give you your top five character strengths. And I tell people when you take this, if it looks right, feels right for you, make sure you're living into those five top character traits because it just will make you an amazingly dynamic person to be around. Right? And if you struggle with living into those five character traits that popped up, then it, it might be time, like Wanda said, look in the mirror. Because the the narcissism, and it's not, that thing doesn't have anything to do with narcissism. It's, it's definitely looking at your strengths. Most of the time, what I want to do with my clients is help them find their strengths and live into those things. Because we have enough people that want to tell us what we're doing wrong. We, <laughs> it's easy to find people that want to point out all your bad stuff. And, and that's one of the reasons, even as I'm going through this four parts on narcissism, and I'm going to keep repeating this, it's not about the traits that the other person has that are driving you crazy. What getting help is about identifying that you're in an unhealthy place and you're ready to make a difference. You're ready to make a different choice. You're ready to make the changes that you need to shore yourself back up so that you're operating at your best. And that's what I want to help people do. I want you to operate living your best life, leading your best self forward. That's what this is all about. And the reason this show is called Divorce is Not a Destination is because when we're dealing with breakups and divorces, so many times people get stuck in the aftermath of the divorce or the breakup, or they we say things like you're a divorcee, like you even get named a divorce. Who goes through something and picks that name? I mean, you go through a car accident. They don't, you know, walk around with folks calling you a crash victim, right? But we, you're a divorcee. And so say whatever you want, but have, have an understanding of who you actually are as an individual and that you've gone through an experience that doesn't have to define you. Your breakup or how bad the marriage was or how difficult the relationship was. This is not something that has to define who you are. And it's not a place that, that, that you need to be stuck indefinitely. And so I'm here to help people understand that and shake that off and move into your best self so you can live your best life so that you can be a blessing to other people. So I want to thank everybody for joining me. Wanda, thank you for joining me from an airport. God bless you. And uh, safe travels. And actually, we will see you soon because Wanda is traveling to come and hang out with us for a couple of days. And so we get to see her here. I want to thank everybody for joining me. I do have my website link on the little ticker tape. And I'm sending people now to my YouTube channel for my replays. Um, I want to make sure that as I'm recording these, the tone is what I need it to be for, for my show moving forward, but not just for here on Fireside, 
for the places where you can stream it and for my YouTube channel so that I have a library for people who really need to come and get the help that I offer, um, that they can get the support that they need and know where to find me. And I want to thank all of you for being here and supporting me tonight. So everybody have a great weekend. I hope you all had a fun and safe 4th of July and uh, I will see you here next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Divorce Is Not A Destination. Please recommend the show to friends and family. You can join my live audience and see upcoming shows by registering for access at firesidechat.com forward slash Lisa Summer Hour. Connect with me on Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram at Divorce Is Not A Destination. And catch replays here on Fireside, my YouTube channel, or your favorite streaming service. Until next time, remember, I'm here to help you get unstuck gain confidence and thrive beyond your breakup or divorce because divorce is not a destination.